0: today's episode, we open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 23. In this chapter, we witness the courage and faith of David as he confronts now two enemies, the Philistines on one side and Saul on the other. David obeys God's command to rescue a city in distress, even though it would expose him to danger, and he follows God's guidance to evade Saul's traps as he is on the run. Along the way, he receives a visit from his faithful friend, Jonathan, who strengthens his faith in God. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Tuesday, May 30th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. A nice, Strong Word is brought to you, in part, by a generous contribution from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Now, I talk about them every show, and not because I have to, but I'm a big fan of LHF. They produce a variety of Lutheran resources and foreign languages. In fact, I took a box of their Haitian Creole small catechisms into Haiti when I traveled there in the past, and just a beautiful way to reach out to people with the good news of Christ in a language they can understand. Something really important for us to remember here at Pentecost. Well, anyway, you can learn more about all their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. But today we're gathering around the scriptures to explore 1 Samuel 23, so please join me in welcoming my guest to help us divide and discern God's Word. It's the Reverend Warren Wirth, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri, Pastor Worth. Good morning, happy Pentecost. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. Good to be with you again. Well, you sound fantastic. So that must mean you're coming to us from the studios there in uh, in uh, St. Louis, right there with KFUO. So I'm I'm happy to have you on the program. Um. So you live near, I guess, the the Purple Palace there. So you're able just to travel in when you're on the program.
1: Not too far away, about a 15 to 20-minute drive if the traffic's not too bad. And, and I prefer on these programs to do it from the studio. The sound quality has improved a great deal over uh, sometimes the telephone isn't always the best.
0: No, you're, you're right about that. We love to get our guests any way we can, but it's always nice to hear it in that crystal clear <laughs> through those RE20s uh, out there. So I tell you what, we will um, go into our program, but you know, it's been a while. I haven't had you on the program since Romans. What's been going on? How have things been going for you? What's God been doing through you and your saints there at Good Shepherd?
1: Well, we're hanging in there. The Lord is continuing to bless us as we proclaim His Word and celebrate the Supper and baptize saints. And uh, so the Lord continues to work faithfully as he's promised to through means of his means of grace, word and sacrament. Um, We're still a smaller congregation in the suburban St. Louis area, but uh, the Lord works uh, through great and small alike. And we have, you know, we're kind of getting into the end of the uh, academic year. And so so while we do not have a school any longer or or even a preschool any longer, the, the the Church does kind of follow that format, does it not? You get into the summer months and people are on vacation and so forth. But we have a few things coming up. Uh, One thing in particular that I'll call to the attention of our listeners in the St. Louis area, we have a missionary couple that are returning uh, for a, a break here. They're on furlough from their work in the Cayman Islands. It's Gerald and Heidi Paul, and our congregation is among those that support them. And they will be joining us on Wednesday june 7th in the evening at seven o'clock to talk about the work that god is doing through through them in the cayman Islands. so if anybody is in the greater st louis area and is interested in learning more about their work join us uh, wednesday june 7th 7 p.m we'll have coffee and some dessert as we listen to what the lord is doing through them there in the cayman islands
0: Wow, that sounds like a a great presentation. You you think of these beautiful vacation destinations, and you don't realize people live there, and they need the Word of Christ and everything else, too.
1: Right, and one of my pastor friends had visited them uh, earlier this year and said uh, they're doing great work.
0: Well, that's wonderful. Well, I'll tell you what, we have quite a bit of text to get through today, so I'm going to go ahead and throw it back to you to give us our prayer this morning. Um, open up our time with God's Word, with an appeal to Him to guide us.
1: Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father. Uh, Open our hearts, our minds to receive what you have to tell us this day through your holy word, inspired by your Holy Spirit as you speak to us about King David and how you protected him from his enemies and led him to victory after victory. We thank you especially that you fulfilled all your promises to him and to us in sending his descendant, Jesus, to be our king and shepherd who came to seek and to save us when we were lost, and who has fought our victories for us, fought our battles for us, and has obtained the victory by his death and his resurrection. Strengthen our faith in Jesus, our Savior, as we learn about King David today. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.
0: Amen. Well, before we dive right into the text, I always think it's a good idea to catch people up. Would you like to share a little bit about what's come right before this, so that people know where we're going it has to do of course with the priest at nob Mm -hmm. Uh, saul gets some revenge on them for helping out david correct so um,
1: we're familiar with the fact that uh, after uh, the lord used david in his battle against goliath and god gave david the victory there uh, saul soon became jealous of david because He was getting victory after victory, and people were praising him for his slaying tens of thousands, whereas Saul was praised for slaying thousands. And so uh, Saul was jealous of David and sought to kill him. And uh, eventually, you know, David had to run for his life. And uh, while he was running for his life, he had stopped uh, to receive help from the high priest, who didn't know what, exactly what was going on, but he, he in good faith, had helped David, who was, by the way, son-in-law to King Saul anyway. So he thought, well, surely if I help him, I'm helping the king. He gave him bread and, uh, and the sword of Goliath, and David went on his way. Well, Doeg, the Edomite, uh, one of the shepherds of Saul, witnessed what was going on, and he was sort of the tattletale who, in order to curry favor with the king, King Saul, that is, uh, told what happened. And so then Saul, in his anger, uh, sent his men to uh, punish the the priests and slew them, Uh, slew a whole bunch of the priests, what, 85 or something like that, and their families at Nob. It was a wretched... Slaughter of righteous people who had done nothing wrong and were really no threat to the king, but it, a, a sign of King Saul's terrible fall from grace, his fall from faith in the Lord and his lust for power at any cost and threatening anyone who got in his way or even presumed to appear to be in his way and on the side of David. And uh, it was a horrible thing. Abiathar, was the only one who escaped. And he factors into what's happening now because Abiathar, the priest, escaped with the ephod, that is a special priestly garment, vestments. And um, he comes to the aid of David now, even as David is on the run. And, of course, Saul is seeking both Abiathar's life and David's life. So uh, both of them realize that they need to commit their way unto the Lord Uh, against Saul, who is filled with hatred and envy and revenge.
0: Well, that ephod, as you mentioned, is going to come up several times as David is fleeing. But we're going to go ahead and get into the text, and we're going to start with the very first verse of chapter 23. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keliah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of Yahweh, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And Yahweh said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of Yahweh again, and the Yahweh answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah for I will give the Philistines into your hand and David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow so David saved the inhabitants of Keilah so we're going to stop right there at the end of verse 5 well, we have David being told about these Philistines. That's another opportunity to fight the Philistines. He's not going to uh, give up that. Plus, of course, he's saving these residents. But the people are afraid. They're afraid because they're like, listen, we're hiding out here. Won't we be brought out into the open if we go into this land and, and save this this town? And so David appeals to Yahweh, right? And and that's sort of the first question I have is like, right, how is David c-
1: communicating with with Yahweh? well the text doesn't make it abundantly clear at this point it isn't is two things are possible certainly david could appeal to the lord directly in prayer but since abiathar has fled to him it is reasonable to think that perhaps uh what's going on is the, david is appealing to the lord through the high priest and the high priest with the high priestly garments which would have the Urim and the Thummim, uh, which is a way that God had already uh, ordained through the time of Moses and Aaron, that inquiry could be made of the Lord and he would answer that way. That would certainly be a, one possibility. Another we saw already in the previous chapter that Gad, the prophet, also was um, allied with David and God spoke through the prophet also to give him answer. So was it through the prophet? Was it through the priestly uh, answering with the room in the Thummim, or was the Lord in some way directly communicating with David? It's not entirely clear. It, It is clear that the Lord did give him specific instructions. So this is not something that you and I are promised outside of Scripture, and we need to bear that in mind, that we today rely entirely upon God's complete revelation given to us in his word, the Bible, Old and New Testament scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit. All that we need to know is there. And in our day to day questions, uh, you know, we we pray to God for guidance and trust that he can guide us through our sanctified reason and so forth. Sometimes, as one of my fellow pastors said, he puts up a red light. So he says, oh, you're not going to go down that road because I'm blocking that road for you. But we don't. Today, we wouldn't expect to hear God directly speaking to us on matters of our day-to-day life and our day-to-day decisions and things other than what God has already revealed uh, completely and clearly for us in his word, the Bible.
0: Always a good reminder, because as we read these texts and we see, you know, the people of God, the prophets, the kings, they're appealing to God through the means through which God has given them at the time. But we don't have those means anymore. The only means we have now, which are far better, is that clear testimony of his son through the scriptures. You're right. And so they're attacking the threshing floor. So, you know, in the ancient times, right, farmers are using these threshing floors to separate the grain from the husk. But essentially, they're, well, they're robbing their food from them.
1: Absolutely, yes, so so by attacking the threshing floors, they're they're stealing the food supply, and the people will be left hungry, starving. And so it, that would certainly be an effective way of conquering your enemies. And we realized that throughout this time period, the Philistines were very powerful militarily, and a great threat. They repeatedly were attacking Israel. It, Israel was repeatedly having to defend itself against their attacks. And in this case, uh, it's interesting that they come and tell David about this. They don't go to Saul, who is the king still. He's the anointed king of Israel. He's the one who has the army. He's the one who has the power. But instead, they go to David uh, and ask him to help them. And David at this time has only a few hundred men. Earlier, it was like 400. Later in this chapter, it will say he has 600 men. So, you know, between four and 600 men against a large well-equipped, well-trained enemy army, the odds would seem to be against you. But David realizes that his trust is in the Lord. The Lord fights the battles for him, even as he gave Goliath into his hand. So also he can give these uh, soldiers into his hand as well. But those who are following him need that extra reassurance, which is why, and again, David doesn't do anything on his own. In humility and faith, He consults the Lord. He seeks the Lord's direction. And then when the Lord makes the promise and says, I will deliver them into your hand, then his hands are strengthened. He knows we can fight the battle. The Lord will give us the victory, even though we are greatly outnumbered.
0: So he does greatly outnumbered with the promise of God that the Philistines will be given into his hand. He heads down to Keilah. And, of course, he strikes them with a great blow. Not them, of course, but the Philistines who are attacking them. And he saves the inhabitants there. Moving right along into verse 6, When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David in Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now, it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Keilah, to besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Yahweh, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Yahweh, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And Yahweh said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And Yahweh said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. And now that's the end of verse 14. So David, he goes down there, Saul hears, and he says, "Ah, I got him now, he's in a city that has walls and gates, and he's basically, he's pinned himself in, and and the text here uh, is just striking. He says, and so he summoned all the people to war, to war against David. He has all these other problems, the Philistines and other enemies of God around him, and yet he seems to be
1: really myoptically focused
0: on David.
1: That is absolutely true, and again, it speaks volumes of how far Saul had fallen away from faith in the Lord and his relationship with the Lord, and the Lord had taken his spirit from him, and uh, by this time, we realize um, David has already been anointed by Samuel to be the one who will replace Saul as king eventually, and it's telling, is it not, that Saul did not call the army to war to fight to rescue the inhabitants of Keilah from the Philistines who had attacked them and were robbing their threshing floors. But now that they have already been rescued by David and David is uh, in the city, he says, ah, I'll go after him. So uh, Saul is in a bad way. (laughs) He's he's not seeking the Lord. He doesn't seek the Lord's will. When he says, God has given him into my hand, that's not because God has said, I'm giving him into your hand, as the Lord had said to David, that he would give the uh, Philistines into David's hand. No, uh, this is Saul presumptuously assuming that since David is there in a city with walls and gates and bars he would be trapped there and just on his own sinful presumption, Saul is saying, ah, now I've got him where I want him. I'll go after him. And he takes all his army and his all his men, all his people to war against that one city to get that one man that he, Saul, considers such a threat to his power, to his selfishness, to what he wants to do, not at all concerned about what is right, right? what is just, what is God-pleasing. He's not seeking uh, Yahweh's uh, will. He's asserting his own sinful will uh, against the Lord and against the one whom the Lord has anointed to replace him, wicked King Saul.
0: Right. I mean, his delusions, this is that Saul's delusions, are really on display because after he continues to disobey God, disobey all the 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 intentions that god put him on the throne which is to do away with the philistines at least in part and of course he just massacred god's priests and one could make the argument that they were deceived you know david was a little deceptive in the way that he dealt with him so they were faultless as you pointed out they thought they were helping out the king he destroys them and yet he still thinks that God is with him and he, and he he takes his own will he takes his own wishes and he reinterprets them as God's will for him and boy don't we sometimes do that today and don't a lot of people do that we take our own desires and when we think things are working out we go well this must be God's will God wants me to do this and, and David runs into this too he's going to have opportunities to kill Saul and and his companion is going to say, hey, look, God's given Saul into your hands. Kill him now. And, and he won't because, well, for lots of reasons, and we'll get to that. Uh, but but the point is he, he doesn't just assume, David, is what God's will is. He seeks God's will where God tells him he may be found. And in this context, that's in the priests and in the Urim and Thumin. Um, so I just think that's fascinating here that we see the dis- difference between Saul, who interprets his own desires as God's will, and David, who pauses and seeks God's will and tries to find out for sure uh, what the the divine counsel really is saying.
1: Absolutely. There, there is a, a, a great difference between someone who humbly trusts in the Lord and seeks the Lord's will and obediently follows the Lord's direction versus someone who has stubbornly and repeatedly resisted the Lord's will and uh, pitted himself against the Lord's will, and yet acts as though uh, God is on his side, and and that's 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 terrible. And you you mentioned again the the slaughter of the priests. How dare Saul, having slaughtered these servants of the Lord who were innocent, and ruthlessly destroyed them and their families, uh, and now is uh, hunting down Abiathar and David. Um, put himself uh, and you know use God's name (laughs) he's certainly taking God's name in vain is he not you know saying God's on our side when clearly uh, he has made himself God's enemy and is going after the one who is uh, humbly trusting in the Lord and seeking to serve the Lord and is not at all intending to harm Saul we've seen it before we'll see it in the succeeding chapters here that uh, as you said time and time again uh David had the opportunity to kill Saul, but did not do so. He was not about to do lift his hand against the Lord's anointed. He was going to do uh, only what God instructed him to do, and uh, trust that God would, in His own time, in His own way, make David king in place of Saul. Saul. Uh, David was not going to uh, do anything. Uh, to rebel against King Saul or to lift his hand against him at all.
0: The other thing I, I guess just stands out to me is that David and his men who are growing, right? As you mentioned, it's about 400 a chapter or so ago, and now it's getting about 600 by the end of this chapter. So he's, he's getting a following, but he and his men go, they rescue the residents of Keilah, and then when he consults God and says, are these people going to hand me over? God tells him, of course, the truth, which is, yes, they will. So my question is, and, and I know we're just speculating, but why is that, right? Why are the inhabitants of Keilah, uh, you know, going to hand over to Saul, David, and his men who just rescued
1: them? Is it is it because of the thing like the what happened to the priests? It could well be that. I, I think what we would say is it's basically sinful human nature that uh, we want to save our own neck. At all costs. And so rather than showing the gratitude one would expect uh, to David and his men who had rescued them and trust that as the Lord had rescued David before, he would also rescue David as he would be on their side. They, their trust is just in human strength and King is King Saul is king and he's got an army. So, rather than let our city be attacked and destroyed, potentially, uh, the easy way out is to say, "We'll we'll surrender, David." And so, the Lord revealed that to to David through uh, Abi- Abiathar and and his priestly uh, inquiry there. And so, David takes that as God's signal to him that he should leave town if he wants to save himself. And so, he escapes again. The Lord's hand is in all of this. It's clear in the way all of this narrative is um, laid out for us that the Lord is intervening for David, even though David himself feels like, you know, he's just one step away from from death, yet the Lord is with him uh, in everything he does. And here, by warning him to flee, uh, David does flee, and and, uh, the trap uh, that Saul thinks he has before David uh, comes up empty-handed.
0: And I think it's important, too, that we note that David doesn't put the Lord to the test, right? So David's given, been given this promise by Yahweh that he will be the, the king and all these other things. And, and so he consults God, and God says, yeah, they're going to turn you over. And he doesn't say, yes, but I have the promise, so I'm going to go anyway. He obviously heeds God's will and flees because—and, you know, we see connections to Christ here— that his time has not yet come. David is a man on the run while also reaching out within his power to help and rescue people. And we see David as that type of Christ, the suffering servant, uh, coming out all the time, more and more as we see how he's being treated by by Saul.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So he he, he humbly trusts the Lord's guidance, and but he doesn't foolishly uh, put himself in harm's way. Uh, you know, he, he, if the Lord says to, to do something, he does it. And in this case, the the inquiry regarding, would uh, the people turn him over? And the Lord says, yes, I will. So David understands what that means for him in terms of escaping. So he and his army escape. His 600 uh, soldiers escape from Keilah. And uh, so then Saul gives up. And David remains in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, which is what sort of to the west of the Dead Sea, mm-hmm. kind of a rugged mountainous area. And But Saul doesn't give up. Saul continues to search for him day after day. But notice the last part of that. But God did not give him into his hand. So again, the holy writer makes it clear to us, God is with David. And despite the danger, despite... Uh, Saul's persistence in pursuing him and his hatred and his desire to to uh, destroy David. Uh, David is safe because he is he his life is in the Lord's hands and the Lord will not deliver him over to King Saul.
0: Exactly. You know, he's going <clears throat> pardon me. He's going and he's hiding. But the Lord is providing him providing for him. And that is the focus of our text but right now, I think it's a good place to take a pause and go for a break. So we're going to do that, folks. Don't go anywhere when we come back. Pastor Worth and I will keep on going through First Samuel 23. See you on the other side. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend Warren Wirth, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Folks, I'm just so grateful that you're joining us this morning. I pray that God blesses you through our study of 1 Samuel. Thy Strong Word can be heard in St. Louis on AM 850, but also live or on demand at kfuo.org. And if you want to take the show on the road, you can listen to us as a podcast on KFUO's own mobile app or on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you want to ask a question or make a comment, you can email me at PastorBoo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook to drop by and say hello. So back to our text, though. Pastor, before the break, we were just talking about how God uh, had provided for David. He had rescued him from the hand of Saul yet again. He's on the run, though. Uh, David and his men are in the wilderness of Ziph, and um, Saul's still looking for him, though. He, He gives up the expedition to go to Keilah, doesn't make any sense anymore, but he's still out there searching for David. Of all the things he has to do, it's strange. Anything else you want to cover about our first half of the text before we read the second half?
1: I would like to point out that during this time period, the Holy Spirit moved David to write some of the psalms in which uh, he cries out to God in his distress and is comforted by the Lord and finds strength in God's promises. So one example of that would be Psalm 54. And uh, I've got Psalm 54 in front of me here. In the superscription to Psalm 54, it says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a maskil of David, When the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? And uh, so I guess that's coming up in the the text uh, to follow. But uh, we'll certainly see how the Lord there, uh, David cries out to him. And uh, he says, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return evil to my enemies your faithfulness put an end to them so he puts his trust in the lord in the face of of his enemies who are too willing to hand him over so not only the uh, residents of keilah but as we'll find even some of his relatives in Ziph are willing to to hand him over to his enemy saul
0: Mm. well let's find out then we're going to start with verse 15. david saw that saul had come out to seek his life david was in the wilderness of Ziph at horesh And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh, and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before Yahweh. And David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. So pausing there, because next is when the Ziphites are going to head up to Saul. But just this little interlude here, we see that as David is hiding out in the wilderness, uh, Jonathan pops on the scene again. We're reintroduced to him as Saul's son. Of course, we know that. And he goes and he finds David and affirms his faith in God, which says that David will be king.
1: Yeah, this is really an interesting thing, because while Saul is seeking David diligently and wants to destroy him, Jonathan appears to have no trouble in finding David. Uh, The text does not explain how that happens. Uh, It could be that there were loyal uh, servants of Yahweh that were still part of Saul's army. And uh, just as Jonathan was faithful to Yahweh and faithful to David, so these others uh, could Without telling Saul, let Jonathan know that they knew how to get in touch with Jonathan. The text doesn't say how it happened, but somehow Jonathan was able to to find where David is and uh, come to his aid. As the Lord—again, this is at the Lord's direction. The Lord is in control of all things. And so the Lord made it possible for Jonathan to find David. The Lord— arranged disappointment, if you will, so that Jonathan could be there. And at a time when David is likely to be afraid and, uh, and feeling alone uh, to have this strength from a brother in the faith, someone who had already shown his steadfast love, had already made a covenant with him, had again and again risked his own life and his own safety when Saul would even have killed his own son, uh and was willing to stick up for David and to defend David and warn him so he could flee safely and, and escape the hand of Saul. And so here he comes again. And again, it shows that Jonathan believes that the Lord is in control and he's willing. He's not concerned about power. He's not concerned about I get to be king because I'm the son of the guy who's king now. So it's my turn to be king. No, no. He he puts aside all uh, desire for power and glory and is willing to submit himself to the Lord's will, recognizing that David is the Lord's anointed. And when he says, do not fear uh, the, the hand of my father Saul shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Uh, it's with that confidence that he's willing to let David be the king when Saul is no longer king. And he's willing to uh, submit himself to the Lord's will and to submit himself to David's leadership when David is king. And his so his word there, do not fear, is again, he's strengthening david's faith in the lord's promise in the lord's uh, protective care and and again you will be the king uh trust in the lord who has made that promise to you
0: and ironically enough you know if if jonathan had become king all of these characteristics really i think indicate that he would have been a great king but you're right he's not seeking after his own elevation he's putting his faith hope and trust in god and he's he's well, obviously, casting his lot with David, which he should. Interestingly enough, if you're keeping count at home, this is the 14th time Saul has tried to kill David. And this is also the last recorded meeting between David and Jonathan. And as the last time they will meet, the author here has recorded the best part of their conversation, which is that they renew this covenant before Yahweh, that they, that they are in a covenant relationship with one another And while they won't officially meet again, we'll see that covenant being upheld as we read through the rest of 1 Samuel and into 2 Samuel.
1: Absolutely. And I I think this is a beautiful example of how Christians can strengthen one another, you know, that together as we're brothers and sisters in the Lord, trusting in the Lord, when we go through difficult times, how we depend upon our brothers and sisters in the faith to help us. So the Lutheran Confessions talk about the mutual conversation and consolation of the brothers, right? And this might be an example of that where uh, the way it's worded that he strengthened his hand in God. So uh, by uh, pointing him to God's promises, pointing him to the, to Yahweh's uh, attributes of of might and mercy and especially the great messianic promise again remembering that david is the lord's anointed who will become the ancestor of our lord jesus christ so all the messianic promises of the the coming savior uh are the things that that david and jonathan could trust in the lord that he will keep his word He will not fail to keep his word. And and you and I, with the advantage of looking back with New Testament eyes, can say, yes, God kept those promises to David and to us by preserving David's life and making him then the ancestor of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Christ, you and I have the strength that we need in times of trouble. When we go through the valley of the shadow of death— the Lord, our shepherd, Yahweh, our shepherd is with us. Jesus is that good shepherd who came to seek and to save the lost, who came to seek and save us when we were lost, who laid down his life for us and took it up in victory when he rose from the grave on the third day.
0: Beautifully point, p- pointed out, you know, and we're going to run now into that psalm that you brought up earlier, Psalm 54, as we go into verse 19. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, and said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hekailah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by Yahweh, for you have had compassion on me. Go, yet more sure know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there for it is told me that he is very cunning see therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information then i will go with you and if he is in the land i will search him out among all the thousands of judah and they arose and went to ziph ahead of saul so these ziphites they call up to Saul, and I think a couple things are really—they just jump off the page at me. And the and the first of which is, O king, according to all your heart's desire. I You know, it kind of gives me the impression that the people are sick of Saul's obsession with David. And even though David should be defended, again, our sinful natures, they just want to be done with it. They're ready to, to, to hand over David if they can just escape the the obsession of Saul, which is causing so
1: much turmoil in the land. That, and I think one might also expect, uh, again, with our human nature, that they might be looking for, for some kind of material gain, some kind of material reward. Uh, it reminds us how, how um, Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And you think, wow, um, you know, would they think that we can hand this guy over and we will be rewarded. We will be favored by the king. And uh, again, not seeking the Lord's will at all. They're not consulting uh, God's will. They're very much about their what they want, what King Saul wants, even when it should be obvious to them that the Lord is with David, has given him victory after victory, has preserved his life, has made promises to him, and that Saul is absolutely turned against the Lord, that he would murder the priests and try to murder David, who has done him no harm, who again and again has actually fought for Saul and and for Israel. Um, so there, there's that sinful nature in all of us that uh, seeks what we think is going to be for our own good and disregards the Lord's will and would even betray a friend, a relative. The, the Ziphites would actually probably be related to David, would they not? I mean, they're all from Judah. They're from the tribe of Judah. And so for them to betray someone who's of their own tribe into the king's hand, knowing that he's wrongfully seeking David's life, uh, does not speak very well of the Ziphites. I mean, it, it, again, that shows how, how far sin takes us away from the will of God, when we seek our own uh, enrichment, our own advantage and, and disregard what God's will is, in this case, that they should have been concerned for the one who was downtrodden and who was wrongfully being pursued by uh, Saul. But no, they're, they're going to hand him over. They're willing to do so.
0: And so much for that Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. I mean, I know that was the women crying out, but the renown of David has gone out. You would think that people would understand that David is the anointed king that seems to be well known, at least among his enemies, and, and the fact that he has been victorious for King Saul. But at, as you said, you know, sin is irrational, and the irrationality is on display here, both from the folks of Akeilah, and now these Ziphites, I just, uh, we're going to see that as a, as a per- pretty familiar thread as we continue. Uh, moving into the rest of the chapter, this is going to be uh, the middle of verse 24 all the way down through 29, which is the last verse. Here we go. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon, and Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. And as Saul and his men were closing in on David, and his men were to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En-Gedi. So <laughs> I love this because, you know, a couple things. One, Saul is so concerned about David, it seems like he's letting his guard down against the Philistines. And so he's chasing after David, and the thing that saves David is an incursion from Saul's enemies that he doesn't seem to be paying attention to.
1: Absolutely. And again, this is not a coincidence. This is not accidental. The Lord is behind all of this, is he not? You know, the Lord is in control of history. The Lord's in control of what happens. So even when it looks like everything is against David and Uh, He's finally going to meet his end because the enemies are going to get him. And who can help him? Well, Yahweh, the Lord can help him. The Lord's might is not shortened. He's able to help even in the most dire straits. And here when it looks like David is about to be uh, captured and killed by Saul, the Lord, with his little finger, uh, (laughs) it moves the Philistines to go ahead and attack Uh, So Saul has to break off his pursuit of David. And once again, the Lord has spared David's life and he has frustrated Saul's plans and his schemes and his uh, hateful uh, attitude toward and his hateful behavior towards David And so the Lord is still fulfilling his word, which again, referring back to those Psalms where David cries out in his distress and trusts in the Lord, the Lord is his helper. The Lord has rescued him from his enemies as he has promised to do.
0: David, he heads out. They call that place the rock of escape. I just love the Old Testament witness where they name, and I know we do this a little bit today too, but where they name places after events. And they do that for the particular purpose of passing down the stories of what happened there. And so, of course, this is being well, written well after these events. And so it's it's kind of a nod to the current readers, not us, but the people who are reading this when it was first written, that, hey, you know that rock of escape that we talk about? And they're like, yeah, oh, that's what—that's why we call that that. That's where all of this happened. And it makes it um, real. It reminds them that these are not fairy tales or legends, but this actually happened. And that's really important for us to remember today as we're thousands of years more removed from the events that, that this is happening in a real part of the world with real people.
1: This is really our history as the people of God. It certainly is. And the same Lord who was faithful to David is still faithful to help us when we seem to be in dire, dire straits, dire distress. When, uh, we may be outnumbered by our enemies, and it, humanly speaking, there seems no way out. Yet the Lord is able to help us, even when it seems hopeless. Uh, we can think of, again, you go through holy history, see how God had saved his people again and again and again in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and in the days of the Reformation. Uh, didn't it appear also that Martin Luther was, was right where Satan wanted him to be because he was going to be destroyed. Uh, when uh, Martin Luther is confessing at, at Worms um, and the, the Pope and the uh, emperor have him right where they want him, they could destroy him, but yet the Lord uh, spared him. He was able to confess faithfully. And just when it seemed like, well, I'm dead, a dead man now, the Lord rescued him from his enemies and used the German princes to capture him and hide him uh, until the heat was off. And again and again, you know, when the pope and the emperor wanted to destroy Luther, the Lord preserved his life and enabled him to continue to confess and to write and to preach. And the gospel prevailed despite the devil's efforts to destroy Luther. And uh, down to the present day, you know, we in our own day and time may feel that the odds are against us. Christianity is no longer respected in the Western world the way it once was. Uh, And it may seem that the devil and his armies are arrayed against us and it's hopeless. We're outnumbered. How will we ever survive in, in these gray and latter days? But the Lord is still with his people. He still speaks to us through his word. And he has promised that the gates of hell will not prevail Against the church, you know, so our Lord Jesus Christ is able to defend us to the uttermost, even when it seems impossible.
0: It makes you wonder if where we are is not hopefully on the rock of escape or whether we are in the strongholds of Engedi. That's where that's where David ends up. You brought up a psalm earlier. I'm going to counter with a song from Song of Solomon. It says, My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Ngeti. Engedi means the spring of like the goat or the kid, right? The baby goat. It's, it's this amazing oasis uh, west of the, the Dead Sea. It, it, it has these two sort of uh, canyons and cascading falls, and there would have been all this beautiful lush greenery. And so for a time, we see that David escapes from this and is spending a very temporary time in this beautiful uh, may i say eden right this just beautiful oasis and refuge from the bleak wilderness of ingedi i think it's a great place to end our text today but, I just, but let's not get comfortable because the very next verse is in the next text is saul finds out that he's there but he's here in ingedi he's has this reprieve and and again i don't want to make too much of it but i just think as we think of um David being on the run. He's protected by God, but he's also giving given refuge. Not only time and again in the rocks and crevices of the wilderness, but now here for a short time in this beautiful area that's inspired even Solomon. Um, I, I just I, I wonder as we look at our lives and as God is continuing to let us be you know, we have the redemption that comes through Christ, but we're still being chased by our enemies, both spiritual and physical. And I think for a while in our country, we were in the strongholds of Engedi, and I think right now we might just be in the cracks and crevices of the wilderness, but the Lord is still with us wherever we are, just as he was with David.
1: Absolutely. The Lord has promised that he will never leave us or forsake us, uh, and You know, with with King David, you know, we confess that the Lord is our shepherd. Yahweh is our shepherd. Uh, We will lack nothing even in the valley of the shadow of death. He's there with us with his rod and his staff. Uh, He will strengthen us. He will sustain us. And we know that, you know, when when we're going through difficult times and we wonder where is God? Uh, Is God able to help me now? Does God even want to help me now? You look at the cross. When you look at the cross, you see that's how much God loved you. He did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him freely give us all things? Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, and uh, you know what the Apostle Paul says there in Romans 8 is is certainly borne out in, in the history of God's people, including in the life of, of King David. And, and all of God's faithful people from that time down to the very present moment. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We've got a synodical convention coming up this summer. Uh, have you ever been to one? I have. I've been to two. Very good. And, you know, for me, that's always a mountaintop experience to be at a synodical convention, particularly the worship, and particularly seeing all the saints gathered together from all our partner churches and all these mission fields. And you see these people of every race and tribe and people and tongue gathered together and singing praises to the Lord who has saved us by His grace through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is great David's greater Son, who is not only the son of David, but the eternal son of God, whose death and resurrection guarantee that God is for us. God will not forsake us. God loves us. God forgives us. He's promised us the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Satan and all his hordes cannot cannot harm us because Christ has won the victory for us once and for all by his death on the cross, by his resurrection on the third day. He's ascended into heaven. He's gone to prepare a place for us. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus our Lord. So, if we listen to this account of what happened to David and we see how God was faithful in keeping his promises to him, protecting him from danger, even when it seemed hopeless, God was with him and rescued him. So, when it seems hopeless for us, God is with us and will rescue us. Nothing in creation can separate us from God and separate us from that hope, that sure and certain hope that we have in Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.
0: Beautiful way to end our program, and that's where we're at, at the end. So I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Warren Worth, pastor of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Brother, thanks for being on. Don't take so long to come back. (laughs) It'd be my pleasure
1: to be with you again.
0: Wonderful. Hey, folks, next Friday is our or this coming Friday, I should say, is our free text First Friday episode. That's when we take just a little pause from whatever book we're covering and we talk about something different just for a day. The topic this Friday will be texts like Romans 13, how we interact with the government, particularly how we can minister. To the authorities. My guest will be the Reverend Frank Rufrado. He is an LCMS pastor, a retired police detective. We actually went to seminary together. He's also the director of Peace Officer Ministries. He's the pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Charleston, West Virginia. So, an excellent guest for us to have as we talk about that particular topic. I want you to join us for that. But tomorrow we keep on going to the very next chapter. That'll be 24. This reveals the integrity and mercy of David as he confronts Saul in a cave. And David has, well, another golden opportunity to kill Saul and end his troubles. But he honors God, spares Saul's life. He also confronts Saul with his kindness. He challenges him to repent of his evil. And along the way, he struggles with his conscience and his men who urge him to take matters in his own hands. Lots of stuff to talk about, including a blessing from Saul. Wow. Well, we'll look at that and we'll talk about it all more tomorrow when we come together again. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.